Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word podcast dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and I'm here to tell you exactly what I think of some of the latest movies out right now. We just had this week Powerball and Mega Millions. Basically, two people won the jackpot there. One who lived in Maryland, they won Powerball, and the other person who lives in Michigan, won Mega Millions. And it kind of breaks my heart. I'm not one of those people, but eh, probably better luck next time. (laughs) But rest assured, if I did win the lottery, I would definitely put a lot more effort into this show. I don't want to say that I don't put any effort into the show, but I definitely put a lot more resources into it. And hell, it could probably be my full-time job, which would be quite nice. But I just thought I'd put my lottery grievances out there. But anyway... For this show, I have three brand new movies to review for you. Two are Netflix originals. One is a Hulu original. And the first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is The White Tiger. This is a, uh, this is probably the newest film of the year, I would say. It's a 2021 Indian drama film directed by Raman Barani. And Raman Barani is actually not Indian. He is an American who is the son of Iranian immigrants. He's a graduate of Columbia University School of the Arts, and he actually had one film that was that came out in 2007 which I regretfully didn't see yet. It's called Chop Shop, and it was it received critical acclaim. As a matter of fact, Roger Ebert listed it as the sixth best film of the 2000s. So The White Tiger, I initially assumed since it takes place in India and has all Indian actors in it, I assumed it was a Bollywood film, but not so much. Uh, Raman Barani actually wrote the screenplay of this, which was actually based on a book which came out in 2008 that was written by Avarand Adiga. The movie stars predominantly the only um, actor that Western non-Indian audiences would know, and that's Priyanka, excuse me, Priyanka Chopra Jonas, although she's not the lead in the movie. Actually... The lead actor in the film is an actor by the name of Adarsh Gorav, who plays a poor villager whose name is Balram, who starts off very modestly in a small town in India, making a living sweeping the floors of his family's tea shop. And he eventually, through cunning and ambition, not to mention tenacity, he becomes a servant for these for a wealthy Indian family who includes Ashok who's played by Rakumar Rao and I presume his girlfriend Pinky who's played by Priyanka Chopra Jonas and the two of them have returned from India after having previously been in America And even though they live a wealthy life in India, they are no stranger to poverty, particularly when it comes to being in America. And there are actually some great scenes between Adarsh Gorav and Priyanka Chopra Jonas, where Chopra Jonas is relaying to Gorav about her modest upbringing when her parents are Indian immigrants in America. And... I won't give away the whole scene, but it's actually adds some very nice touch and dimension to their characters. And things are going well for 
Balram, uh, Adarsh uh, Go- Gorov's character, as he is a driver for this family, especially Ashok and Pinky at first. But then something tragic happens in the middle of the film. Kind of like Goodfellas, the tragic thing that happens in the very beginning of the film, it, it happens in the beginning, and then we're taken back to the early life of Balram. And then eventually it works its way up to the part we saw at the very beginning of the film, which represents a turning point for the hero of this movie. And I bring up Goodfellas because not only did this kind of plot device work in Goodfellas, but it also involved a car. It's not quite as gruesome as the beginning scene, which ultimately became the middle scene in Goodfellas, but it's still pretty shocking and certainly changes the tone of the movie, but not for, not in a bad way. And after that, things change. And I'm not going to tell you exactly what happens to the character Balram, as well as the people for whom he works, but I will say that you learn early in the film that Balram is wanted for murder. But you don't exactly know, A, if he actually committed the murder, or B, if the killing was even his fault until the second half of the film. And I think that's a great plot device. And I don't know for sure if it was incorporated into Arvind Adiga's novel, The White Tiger, in in that sort of narrative way. But... I thought it worked very well in the film. It might have been something that was added as a narrative device by Ramin Barani himself when he wrote the screenplay. But I love the acting in this film. This is actually Adarsh Gorov's first role as the lead in the film, and I would definitely love to see him in more things. I think the reason that this got distribution by Netflix primarily, even though Netflix is no stranger to foreign films, is because Priyanka Chopra Jonas plays a strong supporting character in this film, and she's probably the most recognized Indian actress to Western audiences, and that's not a bad thing at all. And, of course, not only is Priyanka Chopra Jonas gorgeous, I think just about everyone knows that, but she can also act really well, and certainly The White Tiger is one of her best acting jobs in the film. But overall, Adarsh Gorov is an actor with whom I'm not entirely familiar. When, when I say that Priyanka Chopra is most familiar to Western audiences than other Indian actors, I mean that, but she's also most familiar to me. I know some other ones, but yeah, uh, Priyanka Chopra Jonas certainly takes the cake. Adarsh Gorov has been in other um, films and TV shows before, but none of them I've actually seen. And I don't think many other people who are listening to me in America would probably know these films either. He did have a supporting role in a film that is on Netflix right now that came out last year that's called Layla. Layla spelled L-E-I-L-A. But I don't know what that film's about. All I know is that it is on Netflix right now, so you can check it out if you want to. And I may check it out because I loved The White Tiger. I thought that... It had some great on-location scenes. 
the acting by the three lead actors, particularly Priyanka Chopra Jonas and Adarsh Gorav, was top-notch. I really liked some of the anecdotes and the way that the narration uh, flowed in this film. And that that's really all I have to say about it. The White Tiger gets my rating of a knockout. I think it is the first great film of 2021. And it's great to start off a year like this after such a bad year with a movie like this. And I've said before that... Traditionally, when it comes to movies that are released in theaters, January is not the is is somewhat the best and the worst month. It's the best month because a lot of the films that are Oscar contenders come out, uh, particularly in later release, in order to be eligible for Oscar nominations. But also, you get studios who work in the worst films. Uh, of the year that they know are probably going to bomb, but it's just best to release them in January to get them out of the way. And it's no surprise that one year later, some of these January films are on the worst lists for critics, including mine. But The White Tiger is one of those films that may not particularly be eligible for Oscar consideration, at least not this year, but it's still excellent. And... I really enjoyed watching it. I loved everything uh, about it, the acting, the dialogue, the on-location shooting, the set design. There's a lot to love about The White Tiger, and it makes me love the film so much that I'd eventually want to read the book. And I am a proponent of reading the book before seeing the movie. But in this case, I went into The White Tiger not knowing that it was a book written by Avarind Adiga. But if you want to check out the book, there you go. You're welcome. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is The Vanished. This is a 2020 film that was written by and directed by Peter Fascinelli. And Peter Fascinelli may not be a familiar name to many of you, but a lot of um, younger audiences, particularly uh, millennials, know him best as the boyfriend of Jennifer Love Hewitt's character in Can't Hardly Wait, who he dumps immediately after graduating from high school. And then he spends the rest of the night in vain trying to get her back, but he's such a blowhard that you don't really feel particularly bad for him. But Can't Hardly Wait is a relatively good coming-of-age film. It's kind of like American Graffiti for the 90s, and there are some funny parts to it, but... Peter Fascinelli has also had a recurring role. He's played a lot of doctors, actually. He played a doctor in the Twilight, uh, excuse me, um, the Twilight Saga movie Breaking Dawn. He played a doctor in the Edie Falco HBO series Nurse Jackie, and he also played a doctor in a 
in a film that came out in 2019 that is a horror film called Countdown. But in this movie, not only does he write and direct, he also has a supporting role as a police officer. But what is the movie The Vanished about? It is about a husband and wife who take a camper to a lake during the late fall out in the boonies, and they will stop at nothing to find their missing daughter who disappeared on this camping trip. When the police don't catch any leads, the duo take over. So the husband and wife in this film are played by Thomas Jane and Anne Heche. And on this show, Words on Film, I try very hard not to tell you, the listening audience, about actors that I like and dislike. There are actors I like, there are ones I dislike, and of course there are singers I like and dislike too. I try not to incorporate that into my reviews, but it makes it very hard, very, very hard with Anne Heche because not only do I think she's not a good actress, I also don't particularly like her as a person based on what I know about her. And in the late 90s, she was everywhere. She was in the movie Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones. She played Johnny Depp's wife in Donnie Brasco. She played Robert De Niro's personal assistant in Wag the Dog. So she's had a lot of high-profile roles, and probably her other most high, probably her highest-profile role to date has been the reluctant love interest of Harrison Ford in the movie Six Days, Seven Nights, which was a pretty bad rom-com. And Harrison Ford even looked like he didn't want to be in it either. And I will admit that, no, I don't know Anne Heche uh, personally, and what I know about her that's nefarious has been in tabloids from the late 90s, as well as her depiction on Saturday Night Live, most times by... Chris Kattan, but seeing her in movies, yeah, I don't really like her. She's kind of like Andy Dick in the sense that whenever I see Andy Dick in a movie, I sometimes think to myself, come on, casting director, you couldn't have chosen somebody better, somebody who actually cares about what they do. And again, I mean, I think the reason Anne Heche's star has fallen uh, over uh, since her Uh, flash in the pan 20 years ago is because she's really not a good actress and she seems particularly shrill in this movie the vanished she's married to thomas jane and thomas jane is a good actor and he does pretty well in this but anne heche is such a shrill woman and she plays an especially shrill woman in this movie and as it was going along i was beginning to think to myself Thomas Jane's character, why are you still married to this woman? Why did you get married to begin with? Because it didn't seem like a particularly happy marriage when their daughter was still in the picture in the very beginning of this film. And the stitches of this marriage began to come apart as the movie was progressing. In fact, there's one scene where Thomas Jane's character notices a very pretty girl who or pretty woman I should say who is in the camper next to them 
Her name is Miranda, her character's name. She's played by an actress I haven't seen before named Alexi Arthur. But yeah, she is really pretty. And the first scene you see of her is her bathing in a bikini. And you don't exactly blame Thomas Jane's character for looking. But the point of this scene is you don't want Thomas Jane's character to screw up and eventually have an affair with this woman. But when his wife is Anne Hache, that sort of tension flies way out the window, especially when their relationship comes apart and you're wondering why they're together in the first place. And there is the argument a little bit within this film where the the two of them maybe come to the possibility that their child is a makeup baby. In other words, a, a child that they had in order to save their crumbling marriage, which by the way, I'm not a marriage counselor, but that is a really, really, really bad reason to have children. You should have children. If your marriage is going well, not if it's not going well, otherwise the kid suffers. That's just my take on it. But anyway, so the movie get, uh, starts going when these two lose their child in a very mysterious and actually not particularly contrived way. And that's probably where the movie goes well, because it seems like a very realistic possibility the way they lose their their child. You don't want them to lose their child. I don't think you want anyone to lose their child unless their last name is Trump. But when these scenes happen where their backs are turned and they're not keeping an eye on their kid, it's perfectly understandable and realistic the way they lose their child. But the movie kind of comes apart when Sheriff Baker comes into the picture, and Sheriff Baker is played by uh, Jason Patrick. And Jason Patrick is another one of those actors, not like Anne Hayes. She's a better actor than Anne Hayes, but he's one of those actors who you saw in Several movies in the 80s and 90s. He was great, actually, in The Lost Boys, the Joel Schumacher movie from 1987. Uh, he was unfortunately taking over for for Keanu Reeves in Speed 2 Cruise Control, but let's not talk about that film. He was pretty decent in the movie Sleepers, uh, directed by Barry Levinson, but he was the lead in a movie that co-starred Brad Pitt, Robert De Niro and Dustin Hoffman. So he kind of got lost in the shuffle there. But I do attest that Jason Patrick is a good actor, and he's he's kind of come and gone in recent years. He's actually pretty unrecognizable here, but I think he does a decent job playing a local sheriff who is tasking his uh, police crew to look for this missing girl. I think the movie kind of goes off the rails, particularly with Anne Hache's character, where she does things that are just, that don't really pertain to the laws of common sense. And you could argue when watching this film that, of course, she is grieving uh, for her lost child. But again, you can be grieving and still use common sense which she doesn't do in in certain areas of this movie where she goes into rooms you know she's not supposed to go into. She finds things that would implicate somebody else, but she spends way too much time focusing on these things rather than just getting the hell out of the room and calling the police. 
you know, like a reasonable, rational person would do. But the movie completely lost it for me with the twist ending, which I will not give away because a rule on words on film is no spoilers. I will, however, say that the ending to this movie was just as lame as it was all a dream. It wasn't it was all a dream, but it was very, very close to that. And The Vanished was a huge letdown. It was a letdown in the story. And again, I don't want to slam on actors that I don't particularly like because someone else might like them, but Anne Heche was a bad choice for the mother in this movie because mainly I was thinking, who would want to marry this woman? Who would want to put up with this woman? Who would tolerate her behavior in various scenes, and also some of the trials and tribulations through which this married couple find themselves going, um, kind of end episodically throughout various portions of the film. For instance, there's one part where somebody overdoses on sleeping pills, they're in the hospital, and then the next scene, they're out of the hospital, and it's almost like their overdose didn't actually happen. Whereas in reality... They would probably be committed if they tried to overdose, or um, they, they would be under scrutiny from the police. So The Vanished is a film that I know is trying, and uh, when it comes to Peter Fascinelli, I think, I don't want to slam him as a director, even though he's probably better known for being an actor. He This is actually his sophomore um calling at, or rather his sophomore movie as a director. The movie he directed before this was one of those called Breaking and Exiting, which starred Milo Gibson and Jordan Danger, actors I don't particularly know. And I don't know how well that movie is, but if it is good, then The Vanished is certainly sophomore slump, which is why I give The Vanished a flunk out. The story was lopsided. The end, the the twist ending was lame. And yeah, I've spoken enough about Anne Heche. I I just didn't particularly think she followed the laws of common sense in this movie. Her grieving felt more like shrieking. And when you're kind of wishing for the parents in a movie to split up. That's never a good sign for a story in general. Back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I'm your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is The Ultimate Playlist of Noise. This is a Hulu original that debuted on the platform on January 15th. It's not a brand new film, but it's new enough, at least new enough for me. The movie is somewhat poorly paced in some scenes, or at least the pacing is not consistent. And you also kind of wonder how these two 
look so clean when they're embarking on a road trip that takes about three or four days and they're not staying in any, any hotels. They're probably either sleeping outside or sleeping in their car. And that is one of the ways in which this film is unrealistic. But I won't get too picky about it because the film actually gets better the closer that Kean Johnson and Madeline Brewer's characters embark on New York City. And there's also, finally, that one scene where Marcus undergoes surgery for his for his brain tumors. And I actually found myself tearing up during that scene. And the way it ends, which I won't give away, is very sweet. And I think it ends this movie on a very appropriate note and probably makes up for the pacing and the realistic weaknesses of it previously. Surprisingly, even though the movie is called The Ultimate Playlist of Noise and it sounds like a the name of a book, it's actually uh, based on a script and story written by Mitchell Winky. It's directed by Bennett Lassiter, and Bennett Lassiter has a few credits on IMDb, but this is his directorial debut uh, for a feature-length film. And let me look up Mitchell Winky for a second. Let me see what else he has. Yeah, this is also the feature film debut for Mitchell Winky as well. I think it's a very strong debut, even though the film has a few weaknesses here and there, particularly when the road trip happens. But overall, I loved the great parts of the ultimate playlist of Noise despite some of these weaknesses. And probably one of the biggest strengths of the ultimate playlist of noise is it's not predictable. Also, I was expecting this movie to be a little emo, particularly based on another movie with playlist in the title, Nick and Nora's infinite playlist. In addition to the TV show, 13 reasons why, which also has a bit of emo to it. In other words, the the teen actors in that film or the actors playing teens in those uh, in that TV show take themselves a little too seriously, but I, I guess maybe kids in high school do that. I know I certainly had moments where I did, but what I really enjoyed about the ultimate playlist of noise is its originality. I like the fact that it wasn't just a soundtrack of songs that millennials or Generation Z would find appealing, and it wasn't a tribute to baby boomer music either. It was unique where if a kid is going to go deaf, he makes a list of not just songs he wants to hear for the last time, but sound effects he wants to hear for the last time. And I thought that was really fascinating. For that reason, the ultimate playlist of noise gets my rating of a knockout. It truly is an original high school movie. When you get past the kids in their early 20s playing high schoolers, and also the dubiousness of a guy as good-looking as Keenan Johnson never having a girlfriend, as well as other um, th- things about this movie that are weaknesses, I still really enjoyed it, and the ending was very poignant. It did have moments of... It, it did give me moments of fear as well as heartbreak, but that's what a good movie, particularly a good drama 
should do. So I can't recommend the ultimate playlist of noise any more than that. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I'm your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've reviewed all the movies that I have to review for you for this show, it's now time for me to get into movies that are coming to streaming services very soon. I'm going to start with Netflix and going to get to Hulu, uh, Disney Plus, and HBO Max if I have time. But these are films that I'm not necessarily recommending you, you see, but I'm going to just examine them based on the plot information that's given to me, and I'll let you know whether or not I'm interested in seeing these films, but not necessarily that I'm absolutely going to go out of my way and see them. But I always give it my best shot when it comes to movies, particularly original movies. So on Tuesday, January 26th, Netflix is going to premiere a TV show called Go Dog Go, which is the same name uh, as a book written by P.D. Eastman that many people think is written by Dr. Seuss. I assume that the series is based on that book, which actually would make a pretty cool movie, but then again, there's the risk of putting an animated movie out there that could... (laughs) Ruined the book for me forever. That's kind of what Ferdinand did. Uh, It was based on a a great book, but a book that was about 30 pages long. Same with uh, The Polar Express. That was based on a great book written by and illustrated by Chris Van Allsburg that Robert Zemeckis took and made into a movie that looked like it was cast with zombies. That's another story for another time, but a TV series, Go Dog Go, is one that... Obviously, kids will like, or I I assume kids will like. And I'm not going to review it for next week, but if you're interested in seeing it, it's premiering on Netflix on Tuesday, January 26th. There are two films that are going to be making an appearance on Netflix on Wednesday, January 27th. The first is a Netflix original that is called Penguin Bloom. And I don't know if this is a children's film or not. It sounds like it would be. Actually, it is not. Penguin Bloom is a a live-action film that stars Rachel House and Naomi Watts, plus Andrew Lincoln, so you got a great cast there. It's about a family who takes in an injured magpie that makes a profound difference in their lives. Sounds pretty interesting. It actually does sound like a kid's film, but not the kid's film that I was thinking of. In, In other words a film that was animated kind of like The Penguins of Madagascar, but uh, Penguin Bloom sounds interesting. I'm not necessarily saying that it's going to be 
a great film, but I'll check it out and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Another film that's going to be making an appearance on Netflix, but is not going to be a Netflix original or is not labeled a Netflix original is one that is called Accomplice. And it is not listed in my repertoire of films, at least not yet. So I can't tell you anything about Accomplice just yet. So I will just move on. But it is going to be premiering on Netflix on Wednesday, January 27th. On Friday, January 29th, uh, there are going to be three films that are going to be premiering on Netflix and one docuseries. So with docuseries, they are, they are fair game for me to review. This one is called... Uh, the docuseries that's going to be premiering on Netflix on Friday, January 29th is called We Are the Brooklyn Saints. Uh, it uh, It's probably based on a true story, considering that it is considered a docuseries. And the Brooklyn Saints are a youth football team in the heart of inner city East New York. And it's geared towards boys 7 to 13 years old. And apparently the Brooklyn Saints program is more than a sport. It's a family and a vehicle for opportunity. Now, I don't know if this is a limited docuseries. Something tells me that it is. And limited docuseries are fair game on this show. Again, words on film. A lot of people ask me why I don't review TV series. And I've explained this in detail in previous episodes. But in short, it's because TV series take a very, very long time to watch. If you take 13 episodes of a show and put it together, that's at least 12 hours. If the show is, you know, 40 minutes long. So if if each episode is 40 minutes long. So that's why I'm reluctant to review TV series, particularly those that go on for multiple seasons, but docuseries, particularly ones that are limited to about three, four, five episodes. Those are fair game. Last week I reviewed Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer, which was an amazing docuseries and one that was certainly very addictive. But moving on, I'll talk about the Netflix original films that are going to be premiering on Netflix on Friday, January 29th. The first one is called Below Zero, which is also known as Bajo Cero. And Below Zero definitely sounds like It is a winter movie. Maybe it takes place at a ski lodge. It is a Spanish film that is directed by Luis Quiles, who is a native of Barcelona. So it definitely is a Spanish film in the sense that it was made in Spain. And it takes place on a lonely road where a prison transport is brutally assaulted. Martin the policeman who was driving survives and fortifies his position while the con men search for a way to finish him. This sounds like an amazing action film. I'm not going to necessarily say that it's going to be a great film, but it certainly sounds like one of those edge of your seat action thrillers. And I will probably review this one and I will let you know what I think on next week's show. Another movie that's going to be premiering on Netflix that is a Netflix original is one that's called The Dig. And this is a movie starring Carrie Mulligan of movies such as 
The Education, and The Great Gatsby, amongst others. And it co-stars Rafe Fiennes and Lily James. It's about an archaeologist who embarks on the historically important excavation of Sutton Hoo in 1938. I don't know what Sutton Hoo is, but this movie will definitely tell me what it is. It's rated PG-13, so it's good for all ages, although some parts may not be mature enough for children under 13. But I've been seeing PG-13 films since I was 8, so I can deal with them. But The Dig certainly sounds like an interesting film, and it's got a great cast of um, not only well-known actors, but particularly um, reputable actors. So I will, I will see that, and I will let you know what I think on next week's show. The last film that's going to be premiering on Netflix on Friday, January 29th, is one that's called Finding Ohana. I don't know what Ohana is, but I'm about to find out right now. But what's interesting is that Ohana has an apostrophe right before the O in its name. So I'm not sure what that's all about, but this is a foreign film. And Ohana, uh, let's see. It, it actually takes place, it actually might not be a foreign film. I, excuse me, I was mistaken there. It takes place in rural Oahu, which is in Hawaii. It's one of the islands. And it takes place during the summer. And for two Brooklyn-raised siblings, uh, it starts to get exciting when a journal pointing to a long-lost treasure sets them on an epic adventure, excuse me, epic adventure with new friends and leads them to reconnect with their Hawaiian heritage. I like a good Hawaii movie as much as the next person, and this movie is rated PG, so suitable for all ages, parental guidance suggested, although really the the PG rating doesn't really, does not shock uh, parents anymore. I I think it actually is, is put there on some films just because people think, G-rated movies are for kids, which is not necessarily true, and that they're squeaky clean, which is also not necessarily true. But Finding Ohana sounds like an interesting film. It certainly sounds along the lines of Spy Kids or maybe Indiana Jones for kids. So that is a movie I will see, and I will let you know what I think on next week's show. So those are the films that are going to be premiering on Netflix for the remainder of January. And there is actually a long list of films that are going to be leaving Netflix on January 31st. It's actually kind of a a handful of movies, so I'll get through them as quickly as I can. The movies that are going to be leaving Netflix on Sunday, July 31st include A Thin Line Between Love and Hate, which stars Martin Lawrence, Lynn Whitfield, and Della Reese. That's a movie I haven't seen, but it's got a great cast in it. Uh, Death at a Funeral. I believe that was the original one directed by Frank Oz. Employee of the Month, which stars Dane Cook and Jessica Simpson, which if you haven't seen it, you're not missing very much. It's very standard. Four Colored Girls, which is based on the hit Broadway play, It is directed by Tyler Perry, which kind of decreases its street credibility, but it's got an amazing cast, including but not limited to Whoopi Goldberg, Angela Bassett, Tessa Thompson, and several other good actresses. Despite that, it's not an altogether great film, but if you want to see it, it's 
you could see it until Sunday, January 31st. There's also a movie called Malicious, which I can't tell you anything about because I haven't seen it. Mr. Deeds, which was a decent remake of Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. Um, This one stars Adam Sandler and Winona Ryder, which certainly had its moments of immaturity as well as cameos by Rob Schneider for which nobody asked. But I actually liked it when I saw it. It doesn't compare to the original, but it's one of the slightly marginally better Adam Sandler films. It certainly beats the dreck he did like Jack and Jill and That's My Boy, where you could just tell he was trying very hard at not trying at all. If you don't know what I mean by that, you could definitely check out those films for yourself, and you'll know exactly what I mean. And the last film that's going to be leaving Netflix on Sunday, January 20, uh, excuse me, January 31st, is Pineapple Express, starring Seth Rogen and James Franco. That's a stoner comedy that I absolutely loved when I saw it, and there are also really good supporting performances in this movie by the likes of Danny McBride, Gary Cole, and Rosie Perez. And Gary Cole actually plays a villain in this movie. He plays a really good villain. He sort of arguably played a villain in Office Space, but in Office Space he was very smug and self-righteous. But in Pineapple Express, he plays a badass, like a real bad guy. And he's actually kind of scary. And I never thought Gary Cole would be scary. But on top of that, Seth Rogen and James Franco are very funny and they make a very good team together. So Pineapple Express, Sunday, January 31st. You can see it on Netflix until that date. Moving on, I'm going to tell you some of the originals that are premiering on other streaming platforms. And as soon as it comes up on my screen, I will let you know what's going to be premiering on Disney Plus. And Disney Plus right now, there aren't a ton of movies that are going to be premiering, but it's kind of cool that there are some, uh, let's see. There are no Disney Plus original films that are going to be premiering on Friday, January 29th. I'll just tell you the films that are going to be appearing on Disney Plus. One of them is Epic. And Epic was a film that came out in 2013. And it was an animated film released by 20th Century Fox. And because Disney owns 20th Century Fox, they now own the distribution rights to the film Epic. And I got to be honest with you, I have not seen Epic, but it didn't look all that great to me. It was animated by the same people who brought us Ice Age, but the animation didn't look great. And I felt like the A-list talent they had as voice talent in this movie, like Amanda Seyfried, Josh Hutcherson, Beyonce, um, John DiMaggio, Troy Evans, Steven Tyler, Colin Farrell, all the rest... I felt like that was a ploy to get people to see this film rather than it being a unique animated film itself. But I can't fault it because, again, I haven't seen it. That's just my presumption. But it did seem like a desperate way to get people to see it. Another film that's going to be making an appearance on Disney Plus is one that's called The Incredible Dr. Paul. And Paul is spelled P-O-L, so I don't know... I've never heard of this film. I know that it is a film that came out in 2011. It's a documentary, actually. And, oh, apparently it is a 
TV series. The uh, site I was looking at didn't tell me that, but I might as well tell you what it is. It's about a doctor by the name of Jan Paul, who's a man. And with more than 20,000 patients, Dr. Paul has seen it all. Specializing in large farm animals, so he's a veterinarian, this senior is anything but retiring as he takes an old-school, no-nonsense approach to veterinary medicine. I really wish this wasn't a series, because it sounds like an incredible movie. But, again, it's, it's one of those series that sounds very intriguing, but... Uh, I'm not going to review it for this show because it is a series and it would take forever to watch. Another film that is premiering on Disney Plus but is not a Disney Plus original is the movie Ramona and Beezus. And this is, of course, based on the books written by Beverly Cleary, which I saw, which I read when I was a kid or had read to me. I also remember the TV series from Canadian TV, which starred Sarah Polly as Ramona. And Sarah Polly has gone on to an illustrious movie career. But the movie um, Ramona and Beezus uh, stars Selena Gomez as Beezus. And the movie was a modest hit when it came out. Again, this is not one that I'm going to be reviewing for you because the movie is, as of right now, 11 years old. But it's very much like the book. It focuses on the girl Ramona, who is very adventurous and uses her imagination to escape her reality, her reality of which that is quickly spinning out of reach. So if you want to check it out for yourself, Ramona and Beezus is debuting on Disney Plus on Friday, January 29th. Let me move on to Hulu. Let me see what's... Actually, first let me do HBO Max. For the week of uh, January 25th through January 29th, there are actually quite a few movies that are going to be premiering on HBO Max. And because HBO Max has been given authorization to release films by Warner Brothers, yeah, they, they have an arsenal of films that are going to be coming out. On Friday, January 29th, there's a film that was actually originally intended for theaters, and it's called The Little Things. My guess is it's one of those movies that was going to be released in theaters sometime last year, but because, obviously, of the pandemic, it didn't get to be released. So The Little Things is directed by and written by John Lee Hancock, and it stars Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto. The only plot that I'm given, and this is really disappointing considering the, the cast and the talent involved, is the following, and I quote, Get ready for this. Buckle up. This is the plot uh, description. Two cops track down a serial killer. End quote. That's it. (laughs) I don't know who the serial killer is. It's probably not Denzel Washington because he's the star of this movie, so he probably plays one of the cops. But I am very interested to see this movie in particular. And I will make it a point to see this film, and I will let you know what I think on next week's show. There's another film that's called um, Animo Juventud, uh, Juventud, I guess. It's, it's, in English, it translates to Go Youth, which is a very awkward name for a movie. But I have the description for you right here. It is about 
four characters with dreams, passions, and desires, but with the fear of becoming adults in today's Mexico City. And there's actually a description of all the characters in the film, but I'm not going to tell you exactly what these characters are, what their ambitions are, but I am very curious to see that. I thought that was an American trend of people in their 20s and 30s who are uh, fearful of adulting. It's a phenomenon to which I can certainly relate, but it is very intriguing that young adults in Mexico City would have this fear as well. I find that very, very intriguing. And all I know about Mexico City I saw in the movie Roma, which takes place in the early 1970s. But the way that um, the director of Roma depicted Mexico City was realistic, but also breathtaking. And I think that director and writer... Uh, Carlos um, Armea would probably do the same thing. I'm not guaranteeing that this film is going to be a sure thing. There's no such thing as a sure thing in life, let alone movies. But I am very intrigued to see Go Youth, also known as Animo Juventud. But I will let you know what I think on next week's show. So those are all the original films that are going to be on... um, HBO Max, and sadly, on Sunday, January 24th, Wonder Woman 1984 will be leaving HBO Max. I have not actually seen Wonder Woman 1984. I have HBO Max, but I am going to make it a point to see that this weekend. I damn well better see it this weekend. I have to see it. (laughs) And maybe I'll let you know what I think of that film on next week's show. So, Hulu has some original content that's going to be premiering uh, next week. But unfortunately, all that they have to premiere for next week are TV shows. So I might as well tell you about some of the Hulu originals that premiered on Friday, January 22nd. There is... And these are films that I unfortunately didn't have time to see. So I'll just run them by you right now. And I may see them for next week. I just have to be sure. There's one that's called Derek Delgadio's In and of Itself, which is gonna which has premiered on uh, Hulu. And let me see if I can find a description for it. Uh, I oh here it is. So it is directed or excuse me, it's written by Derek Delgadio, and it's actually directed by Frank Oz. It's a documentary. It's about a storyteller and conceptual magician whose name is Derek Delgadio, who attempts to understand the illusory nature of identity and answer the deceptive, simple question, who am I? Sounds like a very fascinating documentary. It may be the last film that Frank Oz directs. And I think this is his very first time directing a documentary. But I will see it and I will let you know what I think on next week's show. Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Words on Film. I always love talking about movies and I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and rate the show and leave comments if you can. I would love to get your feedback, even if it's more criticism than praise. This has been Words on Film. I'm Dan Burke, and until my next episode, I'll see you.
at the movies.